Welcome to the Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola, where I dive in deeper into holistic health and fitness topics that will help you stay inspired, motivated, and dedicated to living a purposeful fit life while pursuing for the Akhirah. Welcome to the 8th episode with Coach Ola. In this episode, we have a special guest, Lindsay Nicole Faraj, who is a mother of two and a board-certified holistic nutritionist with a passion in helping busy moms transition themselves and their families into realistic, healthy eating and lifestyle habits. In this episode, Lindsay and I talked about our relationship with our food and nutrition, we talked about what food is really great for the body, especially for the guts. We talked about picky eaters and how to help busy moms fit in a healthy eating while maintaining all of their busy life. And of course, I would love to share this surprise news with you. And that is, Lindsay and I are coming together this Ramadan, inshallah, to bring you an amazing project and surprise for Ramadan 2019. Before we start this episode, I would love to invite you to grab your free copy, a guide that I put together for you to have the most energized Ramadan in Allah. This guide is super simple to follow. It is super easy to read. It's a step-by-step guide on how to re-energize your mind, your soul, and your body for Ramadan in Allah. Just go to show notes and click on the link. If for for whatever reason the link does not work, please come over on Instagram or Facebook at BeFitForAkhira. Under the link bio, you'll find the link for it, inshallah. So, are you guys ready to dive in with Lindsay? Let's do this. Hey, assalamu alaikum, Lindsay. How are you today? Wa alaikum assalam. Alhamdulillah. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So happy to be here. Would you please tell us about yourself and what you currently do? Yeah, sure. Well, so first and foremost, I'm an American Muslim convert. I'm 12 years now, and I'm actually currently raising my two children in Morocco for the last year and a half. But I'm also a board-certified holistic nutritionist. So in my nutrition practice, I currently work with busy moms, typically in the States, who are eager to transition their families into healthier but realistic and sustainable eating habits and lifestyle practices. But in addition to that, I'm also developing e-courses on nutrition and healthy eating for busy moms, as well as a couple of other miscellaneous projects like the Ramadan uh, program that you and I are working on together. Yes, and we have exciting things coming up for you guys. So inshallah, stay tuned as we get closer and closer to Ramadan. Love it. And I do love your work and recipes. She's We'll share at the end, but she shares amazing recipes on Pinterest and much more. Would you please tell us why is it important for us to have a healthy relationship with our food and nutrition? Yeah, sure. So I'll risk sounding like an alarmist, but just hear me <laughs> out. So okay. in, in this so, I mean, nowadays, there are literally few things more important than developing a healthy relationship with food and movement. Each year, almost 550,000 Americans die prematurely of preventable chronic disease, like heart disease and cancer. And these, these diseases were virtually non-existent for literally 99.5% of human existence, not undiagnosed, but actually non-existent. And now they're so prevalent that they're almost considered the norm, right? So yeah. 
I'm not making the I'm not making the claim that every one of these deaths can be prevented by eating well and just exercising. But honestly, a healthy lifestyle does indeed have the potential to prevent, address, and honestly, in some cases, even cure chronic disease. So even if these diseases run in your family, because I hear that a lot, thanks to something called genetic plasticity, it's actually your environment that determines if these diseases express themselves or not. So, you know, the most potent prevention isn't found in like a single superfood or a single yoga pose, you know, but it relies honestly on a lifestyle that focuses on minimizing and handling the stress on the body, physical stress caused by like a sedentary, you know, lifestyle, and also nutrient poor diets that are high in artificial ingredients and chemicals, but also mental and emotional stress. We live currently, you know, very high stress lifestyles that leave us very little time for self care and spirit and, and any type of spiritual and human connection. So, I mean, basically to answer your question, honestly, a healthy relationship with food, you know, a a relationship where you truly understand how food affects both your body and mind, and also how to use food to nourish both your physical and emotional health, that combined with healthy lifestyle practices, like, of course, regular exercises, as you know, that you enjoy, you know, religious and spiritual practices, and also stress-reducing, self-enriching practices, something like meditation, vis- visualization, and even, honestly, regular connection with those you love, all of that, honestly, has a potential to radically change your health and your life. You know what? It's so true, especially, like, as you get the more stress that we get, the more our body naturally wants to eat and healthier stuff because I mean yes and it's so true because the times when I'm super highly stressed and I do go out for like a fast food for example or I eat the high dense food I do feel more like anxiety does come back a little bit for example on some sometimes or affects my heartbeat so all of it is so true so if we cannot manage the stress as well then we cannot manage the nutrition planning and then the physical part yeah. Well, what is the most common misconception or struggle do you encounter with helping busy moms with their nutrition and their relationship with food? So the most common struggles definitely would include a lack of time and energy, especially from busy moms that are filling multiple roles in the family. They're working, they're taking care of the house, they're taking care of the kids. Sometimes they're taking care of their elderly parents. So obviously this oftentimes leaves little time for proper meal planning and preparing. And fortunately, eating healthy doesn't have to take a lot of time, but that definitely is a huge misconception that you're going to need a couple of hours, you know, every day in the kitchen in order to actually eat healthy. Another common struggle and misconception is honestly surrounding finances. So a lot of people believe that eating healthy is really expensive and it can be if you're just trying to replace unhealthy packaged foods with the so-called healthier versions, or if you're trying to kind of go for the gold, as we say, and buy everything organic, free range, et cetera. So there's also a challenge, you know, that a lot of busy moms or moms in general, families in general face, and that's feeding a family with varying dietary preferences, especially, you know, when that includes picky eaters. Yes. (laughs) And the funny part, I was going to say picky husbands, because some guys can be so picky too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because I talked about it. I went live with Zahra, and that also came up how, like, about her kids. Like, one of her son eats, like, certain food, and the other son, like, 
doesn't eat food. I'm like, that's like just like my dad. <laughs> Where oh, like wow. he doesn't like spices, and my mom and I were like okay with it. But so like, she has to adjust to that when it comes to cooking and stuff. Sure. Yes. Well, this is a very interesting topic because I know it's a very hot now, but I actually found out about the gut and the relationship about gut a few years ago. And I would like for you to tell us about our gut and how we can eat the right food for it. And if there's anything else you would like for us to keep an eye for the gut. Okay. Yeah. So by gut typically means we're including the stomach, the large and small intestine. And so most of us see the stomach as just the organ that simply prepares, you know, the food that we consume for consumption. But Honestly, the stomach is actually the body's second brain, interestingly. The gut's actually where a majority of serotonin or the happy hormone is made. And it's also where the majority of melatonin is made or, of course, the sleepy hormone. So the health of the gut has a direct link, not in just food digestion, but food and sleep, excuse me, mood and sleep. And um, perhaps even more intriguing is your gut is where 70% of your immune system is. So your immune system doesn't simply just fight invaders like bacteria and virus. It's involved in keeping, honestly, nearly every bodily function in check. And it goes to work as soon as it detects any type of issue in the body. So, you know, if we look at how the diet of of an average American affects the health of the gut, we're going to see first that 70% of the average American's daily diet consists of corn, wheat, sugar, and processed industrial seed oils. So this is like canola and sunflower. All of these are not only poor in nutrients, but they leave us in a state of chronic nutrient deficiency. And they wreak havoc on the gut by causing again, chronic inflammation and serious irritation to the delicate gut lining. So just imagine these foods that I just mentioned were literally almost non-existent in the human diet for over 95% of our existence. And now they make up a majority of our diet. So I always liken it to kind of like a bamboo loving panda adopting a primarily meat-based diet, you know, over the next few hundred years. It's simply not how they're designed to eat. So, you know, obviously we're going to see a decline in the health of that species over time, much like the decline of health, you know, we've seen in the human species. So, you know, in addition to this, the colony of bacteria in our stomachs, or also we say gut flora, is honestly at the foundation of our immune system. So, The problem is a diet high in sugar, especially, but also, again, artificial ingredients and synthetic chemicals like those found in almost every packaged and processed food. This destroys the delicate balance of bacteria in the gut. So now the potentially bad bacteria like candida is usually kept in check by the good bacteria, but unhealthy foods like the ones I mentioned kill off the good bacteria. And to make matters worse, the sugar feeds the bad bacteria So all of this can cause chronic inflammation, which is at the very foundation of most disease processes. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, what, what can we do to heal our gut and keep it functioning healthily? Honestly, most importantly, you, we need to concentrate on moving from a highly processed diet to a plant-based whole foods diet. And so what does that mean? It's basically a matter of greatly reducing packaged processed foods in your diet And adopting a primarily whole foods diet, basically meaning a diet made up of foods that grow or move and are eaten in their original form. Of course, this includes like plants, fruits, vegetables, herbs, nuts, seeds, meats, and seafoods mainly. 
So, you know, if you're primarily eating a whole foods, health, healthy, nutrient dense diet, most of us can handle occasional splurges. I mean, even me as a nutritionist, if I, you know, go to a, an event or a birthday party or with family somewhere, I still eat just as I please. And it's not, it's things that I know aren't necessarily qualified as healthy, but again, the body has an amazing, you know, it's very resilient and it has an amazing ability to bounce right back. And you can do that if the majority of your diet is pretty healthy. That's so interesting that you mentioned plant-based diet. And, and with Noor Salem, we talked about this as well. And I know it's a hot topic as well. And each person has an opinion about it and belief system. I actually tried to be a plant-based for two weeks and a half, like cut out as much as I can after watching the documentary with the health. But with all honesty, for me, it was not super sustainable. And I found that, in my opinion, of course, like it's, what I what I think about is that I know moderation is a big term and it's like can be taken a different way. But do you completely cut meat out of your diet? Like, are you super... Not for no, the meat. So, <laughs> no. So by plant, no. So plant-based, I mean, basically just the plants make okay. up the, um, the majority of your diet, but I okay. am a fan of regular meat consumption for sure. No, um, thank you for explaining that because I know the term plant-based, a lot of people, like including myself just now, as you can tell, automatically thought that you meant like cut out meat and because like, I feel like a lot of people still don't understand it as much and they have a different opinion, or not opinion, different understanding about it. And so that's why I wanted a little bit more your view on what you meant by plant-based. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm definitely very much a proponent of, of eating clean meats on a regular basis, for sure. Awesome. <laughs> cool. No, because there are some people like super, super like against it. And, um, oh, yeah. and, I, know th- and I know this is a big, uh, interesting topic, and I respect everyone for their views and stuff, but it's good to know like where you stand, where I stand, and, sure. and all that stuff. So actually that reminded me. So when I found out about the whole gut health years ago, I was in shock and surprised when I learned that oatmeal, for example, it actually helps the bad bacteria to grow in our, our gut and the microsystem. So what are your thoughts? Like what certain food, for example, is really not good for the healthy bacteria? Honestly, again, you know, we're looking at a lot of the, unfortunately, what is made up of the average American diet, you know, because it causes chronic inflammation, this is going to in turn throw off the the delicate balance of gut flora. So, you know, again, the, the corn, the wheat, um, especially sugar, the industrial seed oils, all of this artificial flavors and, you know, all of this artificial chemicals that we're seeing almost every packaged and processed food, this all, you know, has a, a significant impact in the gut flora. Whereas things like, you know, probiotic rich foods, like a lot of the fermented, but the traditionally fermented foods, not kind of the pickles that you find on the, you know, the supermarket shelves, but the traditionally fermented foods are very, very, very good and very powerful in helping to kind of rebalance the the gut flora. Right. That's nice. I mean, interesting. <laughs> it's true, though. But what about like oatmeal? Is oatmeal really bad for you? Because I actually stopped eating it years ago. But what are your thoughts about oatmeal, for example? I've never heard of oatmeal in particular having a significant... I mean, again, it's a grain. So mm-hmm. for some people, grains in general just cause a low level chronic inflammation. And this, of course, can, you know, throw off the the bacteria. But I've never actually heard of of oatmeal 
being in particular an issue when it comes to gut flora. In fact, you can actually properly ferment oats and that actually will basically increase the good bacteria in the fermented oatmeal and therefore you're you're essentially co- you know consuming a probiotic rich food. I can send you uh the information on how to uh properly ferment oatmeal if you'd like. Sure, yes, because this is all a learning process for me as well. So about like you know there's some people also misunderstand the difference between whole grain bread for example and whole wheat bread. Do you want to explain it just a little bit maybe? Yeah, whole grain bread would just include other grains like oats, like rice, like corn, but also wheat, whereas whole wheat bread is just going to basically contain the whole kernel of wheat. And which one is better for the gut? Um, I thought I, it was whole wheat. Well, Honestly. I'm actually very, very <laughs> much a proponent of um, a wheat-free diet. I think that wheat is one of the worst things that we can consume again on a daily basis, on a regular basis. I don't think for some, for a lot of people, they can get away with an occasional, you know, uh, an occasional bread or whatnot. But uh, on a, for honestly, in my opinion, and in my experience for uh, a healthy lifestyle diet, I don't believe that wheat should be consumed on a regular basis at all. So for someone like me, I love bread and I just went back to the whole wheat bagels, but I used to eat everything bagel. It's just like my favorite. Do you have any suggestions for like a breakfast replacement, for example? Yeah, there's, I actually do have a Pinterest board and it's quite um, extensive that I specifically for breakfast. And I also have a bread and muffin board as well. And none of that contains wheat. Um, They're all baked goods that are based on usually almond flour or coconut flour. But my breakfast board, honestly, I am a huge fan of hashes. So basically, like in the beginning of the week, I will put through my food processor lots of vegetables and just kind of like mince them small. And then I will just fry them in coconut oil or ghee or clarified butter. And then if I, you know, usually I want that protein from an egg, for example. So I will like break an egg over it and use it that way. Sometimes just depending on the morning, sometimes I will add something like a turkey or beef bacon uh, into the hash just to kind of change things up a bit. But it's a great way to consume vegetables, you know, first thing in the morning. Smoothies are all, you know, also very, very good. And you can, you can incorporate vegetables into those as well. A lot of people don't realize you can even in, you know, smoothies, you can add, you know, chunks of carrots and you can add cucumber. Of course, spinach is a popular one, but there's, there's quite a few vegetables that you can actually add that doesn't, that don't uh, affect the taste, you know, to where it actually tastes like a vegetable smoothie. (laughs) So those are kind of my go-to. I'm a big fan of eggs as well. I do believe very much in getting pasture-raised organic eggs, but eggs are a great, a great thing too to have in the morning. Okay, I'm going to try to work on it because honestly, I'm a carb lover. <laughs> so it's really hard, but it's good to know and inshallah, I will do my best. That reminds me, when I went live with Healthy Wealthy on Instagram, we had a, pers- a viewer that mentioned irritable bowel syndrome, B-I-B-S, and she was asking us to help her like cut down uh, or like find meals that would help her with that with that syndrome mm-hmm. and when it came to gluten-free and all that stuff like how to replace crackers and, and how to get her carbs and we said you know like we're not nutritionists and I would refer you to nutritionists so do you have anything you can tell us about it here? I mean basically like I'm 
It really depends on the person, but for mm-hmm. most clients, I find that instead of just substituting, you know, wheat-based breads with with grain-based breads, even if they are wheat-free and gluten-free, but they still are based, of course, in rice and whatnot. I'm not a huge fan of that because again, you know, grains for a lot of people can cause low-grade chronic inflammation. So I honestly just, you know, recommend people with any type of digestive, you know, health challenge or even honestly for most people, period, just as a lifestyle diet, you know, really, really just to focus on how to to adjust your diet to be mainly plant-based fruits and vegetables and then just clean meats animal, you know, basically eggs, dairy, I'm not a a big fan of either. But it's just all about, you know, the most important thing is just finding the things that you enjoy eating, because, you know, eating should be enjoyable. I mean, you should nourish your body. But it also, you know, should be something that you look forward to. So I would just, you know, it's basically just kind of just trying out different things and just kind of finding your your own, you know, personal preferences that also, you know, that are enjoyable, but also are nourishing. And what about like beans, for example? Because I feel like beans would be kind of again beans, like oh, even beans. And this is one of the foods that is kind of like in the gray area for a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. um, for for me in my practice, I basically with clients eliminate. Uh, well, I should say the clients who have health issues, we will do kind of an elimination diet for several weeks and then slowly reintroduce foods. And some do, you know, they, they tolerate certain grains perfectly fine. Others don't. And also with beans, beans and legumes, the, that's kind of one of the things that you, you don't really know if it causes issues with your body until you completely eliminate them and then go to reintroduce them. And then you can kind of gauge whether they are suitable for your own personal digestive, you know, system or not. That's good because, you know, it's true that like there are food allergies out there. And sometimes because I sometimes get like allergic reactions in my body. Mm-hmm. And like, I know I need to see a dietitian, a nutritionist, dietitian, but I haven't had a chance and the financial means for it. But it's true. Like, for example, when I did cut down the like coffee for this one Ramadan with sugar, I felt a difference in my body. And I know it's super important to do elimination, to see like what is affecting your body. And I like that approach as well. It's not easy, but it's sometimes needed to find out what's happening in the body. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess like before our last question is like, how do you deal then or how, how do you help the picky eaters or the parents with the kids that are picky eaters eat the right food and in general, like how do you help them if anything you can share? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my first suggestion in regards to picky eaters is to first rule out the possibility of a tongue or lip tie, which can play a huge part in texture aversion. And that can kind of, they that can look like a very picky eater when in, in reality, they're just not able to chew their food properly. So they become, they, they basically struggle with, with the textures of food uh, versus the, you know, the taste uh, of the foods. And this can be done just by finding pediatricians are actually not, they're not well trained in um, in identifying, (laughs) you know, tongue or lip ties. So maybe somebody, you know, in your, in your personal community, like a lactation consultant, or even like pediatric dentist, uh, they would be more apt to identify a tongue or lip tie. 
So, but in the absence of this, honestly, my philosophy is to just return to the basics with food and to consistently offer more choices. So, you know, kids are notorious for hating vegetables, of course, aside from like corn and potatoes, but it's important to look at what it is they're actually repulsed by. So, you know, in a lot of instances, it's actually the way that they're prepared and preparing them correctly allows their natural flavors to really shine. And surprisingly, it involves very little prep or cook time. So, you know, honestly, it's a a win-win for especially us busy moms. My absolute favorite cookbook is The World's Healthiest Foods by George Madelgen. He honestly like really simplifies healthy eating and he provides a wealth of information about the, the nutritional profile of each food. So, you know, if you share this with children, providing this insight on exactly how these different foods nourish and sustain our bodies, it really can be very intriguing for kids and it can help them, you know, encourage them to try out new foods. The, the book, honestly, is an absolute gem, and I recommend it to all my all of my clients, but you can find the recipes online. I think the website is whfoods.org. And then, honestly, again, this my second philosophy here is just to consistently offer more choices, whatever, you know, whatever the family is eating. It's there, but there shouldn't necessarily be a lot of push and a lot of battling and whatnot. There should be, you know, at least two things served, you know, for the meal that, you know, the child's going to eat. But then the other option should just be there for them to basically when they're ready, you know, and you would be surprised if you if you kind of take a back seat a lot of times and and stop doing the pushing and bribing and whatnot and just consistently offer it as an option. You'd be surprised at how often the kids will finally come around. That's awesome. I'm going to actually include the link and the book in the show notes. So if anybody missed out, just go back to the show notes and you'll find out, inshallah. That's awesome. It's it's not easy. So thank for you for sharing these tips. Yeah. And before we leave, where can someone stay in touch, in contact with you besides Pinterest? Because I just mentioned your Pinterest. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, my nutrition practice is, is the, the Sensible Nutritionist. I can be found on Facebook and Instagram just by searching the Sensible Nutritionist or on my website, which is tsnutritionist.com. Awesome. It'll be in the show notes, everyone. Go follow her. And I do have you on Pinterest. I'll go back to the boards for breakfast, see how I can try new things, inshallah, because it's not easy <laughs> to cut the bagels. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Inshallah, yeah. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Have a wonderful day and assalamu alaikum. Thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe today and leave a five-star review. You can also screenshot and share this episode with a family or a friend. Be strong, be fit, be fit for akhirah. <laughs>